Well, if you are just joining us, we are finishing up a short series just looking at some of the parables that Jesus told in Luke's gospel. And this morning we come to the parable of the persistent widow. And in verse one of our passage, well, really, verse one of our passage is a, is a preacher's dream. We read there, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Well, there's the application for today's sermon. That's what Jesus wants us to take away this morning. So I, I say let's pray and go for an early lunch. How about you? <laughs> now, in all seriousness, why does Jesus tell this parable? Like, why does he seem to think that we need motivating to always pray and not lose heart? Well, it's because Jesus knows what we're like. So he knows that we struggle with prayer. He knows how weak we are, how distracted and lazy we can be. He knows that we have this false sense of autonomy. He knows our lack of patience. He knows how prone we are to neglect prayer. He knows that when we do pray and nothing seems to change, we just tend to give up. And so Jesus wants to come alongside us this morning and help us. But before we go any further, we need to just clarify something. So Jesus isn't talking about prayer in general. So the application of today's passage isn't to keep praying that your marriage gets better or to keep praying against temptation to sin or to keep praying for physical healing. It's not even to keep praying for the salvation of your friends and family. I mean, these are good things to pray for and you should pray for those things. But the aim of this passage is more specific. So it might be helpful to zoom out and see the context. So hopefully you've got your Bible open. If you flip back to chapter 17 of Luke's gospel, Jesus has been teaching about his future return. And in verse 24, he says this, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. Jesus is returning, but until he returns, life will go on as normal. So in verse 26, Jesus references the time of Noah. And he says that, you know, basically people will be eating and drinking. They'll be getting married. They'll be totally oblivious to his return. But then, bang, like a flash of lightning, Jesus will come. And the question is this, will we be ready when he returns. In fact, that's the exact question Jesus asks at the end of our passage. So if you look back at chapter 18 of verse 8, Jesus asks, nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, he's talking about himself there, will he find faith on earth? So it's in that context that Jesus wants us to pray, knowing that he is returning should cause us to pray, to pray frequently and to not give up. In fact, there seems to be a link between prayer and our readiness for Jesus' return. Those who are eagerly waiting for him will pray and not give up. But what are we to pray for exactly? Well, there's a repeated word in our passage. You might have noticed that it comes up four times. It's there in verse 3, verse 5, verse 7, and verse 8. It's the word justice knowing that he is returning, knowing that a day is coming when God will make everything right. Jesus wants us to pray for justice, 
to pray for justice frequently and to not give up. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you've been deeply wronged. You've been the victim of injustice. Terrible things have been said about you or done to you. Maybe you've been defrauded, abused, bullied, exploited, slandered, persecuted. Maybe you were wronged by someone close to you, an ex-spouse, a family member, a friend. Maybe you were wronged by someone in authority over you, a parent, a church leader, a police officer, an employer. Maybe you've experienced unjust laws in society, systems and practices that have made it difficult for people like you to flourish and be treated equally. Maybe you can't put your finger on it, but throughout your life, the cards just seem to be stacked against you. Despite your hard work, you just can't catch a break. Life has just been unfair. And despite praying, nothing has really changed. Injustice just seems to win. And at this point, you've just lost heart. Well, maybe you've not personally experienced injustice, but you just look around the world and you just see it everywhere. You see human trafficking, abortion, racism, mass shootings, the covering up of abuse, corrupt governments, children living in poverty, Christians being persecuted for their faith. I mean, the list is endless, isn't it? Overwhelming. And sometimes you do pray, but nothing really changes. The poor continue to be trampled on, the vulnerable continue to be exploited, the helpless continue to be oppressed. Injustice just seems to win, and by now you've lost heart. Well, if that in any way describes you this morning, then Jesus has some encouragement. He wants to to motivate us to keep on praying and not lose heart. And to do this, he tells us a parable. It's a parable involving two characters. The first character appears in verse 2. We read that in a certain city, there was a judge. This judge basically lacks the most important qualities for his profession, We're told that he neither feared God nor respected man. So he doesn't believe that there is a judge higher than him, a judge to whom he'll one day have to give an account. Nor does he show people the dignity and respect that they deserve. He's the the kind of judge who'll accept a bribe, the kind of judge who cares nothing about justice. As Jesus calls him in verse 6, he's an unjust judge judge, a living, breathing oxymoron. The second character appears in verse 3, and there was a widow in that city. Widows were very vulnerable in the ancient world, so throughout the Bible, they're really the prime example of affliction and misery. So when their husbands died, they were often left without any means of support. Even if their husband left an estate, A widow couldn't inherit it. So they were often poor, powerless, and even oppressed. They were so victimized that they were often sold as slaves for debt. And so that's why widows were granted special protection and provision under God's law. So God forbade his people from neglecting or oppressing or taking advantage of widows. They were in the same category as orphans and immigrants, And failure to give justice to widows brought about God's judgment. So let's look at one example in Exodus 22, where we read this. 
You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Throughout the Bible, God is often pictured as the defender of widows. So in Deuteronomy, we read this about God. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So with that background in place, look again at verse three of our passage. This particular widow kept coming to the judge and saying, give me justice against my adversary. This widow wants justice. We're not told exactly how she's been wronged. Maybe she's been defrauded. Maybe she's been assaulted. We don't know. But whatever the situation, she's clearly powerless. She's clearly alone. All she has is this ability to plead with the judge. And so she keeps coming to him persistently. And as we've seen, the judge has a special obligation to help her. But our our expectations aren't super high. After all, we already know this judge doesn't fear God, nor does he respect people. So it shouldn't surprise us when her pleas fall on deaf ears. So in verse 4, we read that for a while, he refused to give her justice. She can't offer him a bribe. She can't threaten him in any way. So why give her the time of day? Despite his refusals, the widow keeps crying out. She won't be deterred. And after a while, surprisingly, her persistence pays off. We read there, but afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In the original Greek language there, the phrase beat me down is literally so that she won't give me a black eye. It seems to be some sort of idiom. So obviously the judge isn't afraid the widow's going to come back and knock his lights out, although that would be an awesome parable. A judge would, you know, a judge would never be physically intimidated by a widow. But it seems to be a way of saying like this, this widow is annoying me to death. She's like a, a pesky mosquito who won't leave him alone. He just wants it to go away. And so rather than just keep being bothered by her day after day, it's just less trouble for him to give her justice. And so that's the parable. It's a bit of a weird parable, really. I mean, what are we meant to learn from it? Well, let's keep reading. So in verse 6, Jesus says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Now, this is surprising because we'd we'd expect Jesus to maybe say, okay, look how persistent this widow is. Just learn from her example. But instead, he directs our attention to the judge. Apparently, there's a lesson to be learned from the unjust judge. What's that lesson? Well, look at verse 7. Jesus says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So Jesus tells this parable because he wants to make a comparison between the unrighteous judge and God. He basically uses a lesser to greater argument. If this unjust judge 
gave justice to the persistent widow, how much more will God give justice to his elect? That's Jesus' point here. Now listen, here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that we need to keep bugging God until he finally listens. Okay, so, so, so children, let me ask you something, if there's any children here. Are there ever times when you want something from your parents? So maybe it's like, I don't know, candy or a toy or just some more screen time. And at first they say no. But you know, if you just keep pestering them, they'll eventually, you'll eventually wear them down. You know, because, because you know that, I mean, your parents are tired. They're weak. They're sleep-deprived, broken people. And so you know that if you just, you just keep bothering them, eventually they'll give you what you want just so you don't annoy them to death. Well, that's not the lesson Jesus is teaching here. Prayer isn't a way of making God do something that he doesn't want to do. The point is that God is unlike the unrighteous judge. He's infinitely better. So throughout the Bible, God is presented time and time again as a righteous judge. So for example, in Deuteronomy 32, we read this. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Not only is God just, but he cares about his elect. The word elect there means God's chosen people. These are the ones whom God has known for eternity. The ones whom God has set his love on. Jesus is saying, do you really think that the righteous God will deny his chosen people justice? As they cry out to him day and night, do you really think God will refuse them? And the answer is no. Now, maybe you're wondering, okay then, but when? When will God bring about justice? So look at the end of verse 7. Jesus asks, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, Jesus' words raise a question for us here. Because at first glance, they don't seem to match reality. Because God's justice is often delayed, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly why we lose heart. We pray for justice, and it doesn't come, and so eventually we just give up. So how do we reconcile Jesus' words here with our experience? Well, I think 2 Peter 3 is helpful here. So if you remember those words that Will read for us earlier, in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 to 10, we read this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." God's perspective on time is different than ours. So from a human perspective, it seems as though God is really slow to fulfill his promises, doesn't it? The days, the weeks, even the years go by, and 
it seems like injustice just goes on, and pu- goes on unpunished. The, the bad guys seem to be winning. Life continues to be unfair. And we wonder, is God turning a blind eye? Is he like the unjust judge who simply just doesn't want to be bothered by our pesky little problems? Well, no. God delays his judgments because, Peter says, he is being patient. He doesn't want any of his chosen ones, his elect, to perish. So God is patiently waiting until all his elect have repented of their sins. And once that happens, Peter says, Christ will return and make all things right. Think of it this way. If Jesus had returned 100 years ago, none of us would would be in heaven. But every day Jesus tarries, more people repent of their sins and receive eternal life. So from a human perspective, there is a delay. But this delay is not arbitrary. In fact, from God's perspective, there is no delay at all. Justice will come at just the right time. And when it does come, it will come speedily, Jesus says, swiftly. As Peter says, like a thief in the night. And because this is true, we should keep praying and not lose heart. Now, let me tell you something about parables. So every parable has a shock factor. Parables are meant to jolt us awake. They're meant to shock us into thinking afresh about God and then challenge us to live differently based on that new knowledge. So we've seen that in the last couple of weeks, haven't we? So as we've been looking at the parable of the prodigal son, we've been shocked by God's extravagant grace for extravagant sinners. But where's the shock in our passage this morning? How's this meant to jolt us awake, spiritually speaking? Well, I think the shock is here. The passage exposes the low view that we have of God. So when we fail to pray for justice, when we lose heart and we we give up, We're essentially saying that God is worse than the unjust judge. Think about it. Because as terrible as he was, at least the unjust judge eventually listened. At least he eventually granted the widow's requests. At least he eventually gave her justice. You know, when it it comes to God's justice, our doctrine might be correct, but prayer exposes what we really believe. If we really believe, truly believe that God is a righteous judge, if we really believe that he will give justice to his people, then we won't lose heart. We won't give up. We'll pray for justice, knowing that God will surely bring it about. Now, listen, let me anticipate a wrong response to Jesus' words here. You now feel guilty that you don't pray enough for God's justice. And so you leave here feeling like a pretty terrible Christian. But you're going to try harder to pray better. That way when Jesus returns, hopefully he won't be mad at you. Well, that's not the response Jesus wants from you this morning. So if you're feeling that in any way this morning, then just take a deep breath. Because here's what Jesus wants from you. He wants you to actually take your eyes off of yourself and put them onto him. So He wants you to stop looking at your own failure to pray and to look instead to his glorious return. 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. Like, seriously coming back. And when he does, he's going to make everything right. He's going to clean up this mess. He's going to vindicate his people. He's going to destroy evil. There's a date on God's calendar when this is happening. Now, look, we naturally forget this. We lose sight of this reality because sometimes life is really tough. Suffering is overwhelming. Injustice is rampant. Even this week, as I was preparing this sermon, I get a text from a church member saying they've been defrauded. And we've been praying. But from our perspective, it just seems like injustice has yet again prevailed. Sometimes Jesus' return seems like a wish dream. So why bother praying? Or sometimes, if we're honest, life is just really comfortable. We enjoy health, wealth, and success. And so we become consumed with our hobbies and our pleasures and our personal achievements. And Jesus' return is just not really on our radar. In fact, maybe his return seems like an interruption. We'd rather him return after we've achieved all of our hopes and dreams. And so we really feel compelled to pray, come Lord Jesus. I think we naturally take our eyes off of Jesus and his return and we put them on our circumstances, don't we? Whether those circumstances are good or whether those circumstances are bad. But that's why the Bible keeps reminding us Jesus is returning. He's coming back. Every eye shall see him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sin and death will be destroyed. Satan, our greatest adversary, will be cast into the lake of fire. Every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain. All the sad things will come untrue because all these former things will pass away. That is our hope. You know, sometimes in his kindness, God will give us justice in this life. So the criminal will get caught. The bully will be punished. The tyrant will be stopped. The hypocrite will be exposed. We'll get rewarded for the hard work that we put in. We'll be treated fairly. However, our hope is never justice in this life. Our hope is Jesus Christ, and he is returning. So brothers and sisters, that's the application behind the application. Yes, Jesus wants us to pray and not lose heart, but what's gonna motivate us to do that? Well, you need to look to Jesus. You need to fix your eyes on his glorious return, recognizing that he is a just judge who will make everything right. That's the primary application of today's passage. So don't just leave here with a resolve to pray more because there's, there's zero power in that. You'll likely lose heart and give up after a week. Leave here with a resolve to look to Christ to set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus. I think if we do that, then prayer will, will follow. And when Jesus returns, we'll actually be ready because we'll be eagerly waiting for him. I think that's why gathering every week for church is so vital to our spiritual lives because most of our week is taken up with earthly concerns. We've got homework, sports practice, work meetings, sick kids, 
bills to pay, meals to cook, laundry to do, shows to watch, relationships to maintain. You know, in the midst of all the busyness, we lose sight of the bigger picture. We, we can barely think about tomorrow, never mind eternity. But then we gather together as a church and we pray and sing and hear God's word and take the Lord's Supper. And we're reminded that a better day is coming because Jesus is returning. And then this, that gives us hope. It gives us hope that evil and suffering won't have the last laugh that God will actually give justice to his people. He'll right every wrong. And I think the more we grasp this, the more this reality sinks into our hearts, the more persistently we'll pray. So if people wrong us, if they defraud us, abuse us, bully us, exploit us, slander us, persecute us, instead of losing heart, we'll pray for Jesus to return. We'll plead for him to come quickly and right every wrong. Or when we see injustice in the world, when we hear of another mass shooting, when babies continue to be aborted, when we hear of women and children being trafficked, when news breaks of more churches covering up abuse, when past injustices like slavery and Jim Crow laws continue to impact our black and brown brothers and sisters in the present, when certain sections of society, usually made up of ethnic minorities, continue to receive bad healthcare and poor educational opportunities and incredible disadvantages in life, when we read of believers being persecuted for their faith, instead of losing heart, instead of just turning a blind eye and getting on with our own lives, no, we'll stop and we'll pray for Jesus to return. We'll plead for him to come quickly and right every wrong. I mean, that's why we pray for justice in our corporate prayers. That's why we'll pray this today for justice. It's why we pray for the persecuted church. It's why we pray for the unborn and the immigrants and racial minorities. It's why we, we pray for victims of abuse and, and the people of Ukraine. We pray because we have an audience with a righteous judge. We pray because God promises to give justice to his people. We pray because we know that Jesus is coming back. So brothers and sisters, let's pray and not lose heart. But look, what if you're here today, right, and you, you're not a Christian? Well, I think that this passage should really sober you this morning. Because Jesus is coming back. He will execute God's justice. And friend, that is not good news for you. Because like the unjust judge, you have not feared God nor have you loved your neighbor as yourself. Now, this might not seem like a pressing issue to you right now. Maybe you're too busy living your own life. Maybe you're even skeptical that Jesus will in fact return. If that's you, then consider what we've heard today. God is actually being patient. However, like a thief in the night, Jesus will return and you won't see it coming. Justice will be swift. So the application for you today is to repent, to turn from your sins and come to Christ before it's too late. Here's the good news. You can be saved from God's judgment. You can receive forgiveness for your sins. You can, you can have Jesus as your friend instead of your judge. How's that possible? Well, it's because the greatest act of injustice in the history of the world happened to Jesus. He, the perfect son of God, was betrayed 
slandered, unjustly tried. He was reviled, spat upon, mocked, beaten. He was eventually crucified on a Roman cross. Even though he had done no wrong, he was, ro- he was wronged. Even though he had done nothing evil, he had evil done to him. But he wasn't a help- helpless victim. Jesus willingly gave up his life. And on the cross, he took the punishment that our sins deserved. He was judged in our place. He died so that we might live. And then he rose from the grave in victory. And now anyone who trusts in him can be saved. The good news for believers is that God's justice has been satisfied. And so, friend, let me implore you this morning to turn from your sin and believe in Jesus. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in Acts 17. He says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus assures us of the return of Jesus. That's Paul's point. Let me ask, are you ready for that day? You know, we live in a time when justice is a bit of a buzzword, don't we? Most of us want justice. We want to live in a world where people, we want to live in a world that's fair. Deep down, I think we want a God who will make everything right. But then we feel a tension, don't we? After all, we are guilty of injustice. We haven't given God his due. We haven't given him the glory, the honor, the thanks that he deserves. We've committed injustice against God. Nor have we given other people their due. In so many ways, we've wronged one another. And so how can God's justice be good news for unjust people? Well, the answer is Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever read the comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. It's about a precocious six-year-old boy named Calvin, and he has this stuffed tiger that's somehow alive in Calvin's imagination. And in one of the episodes, Calvin, he's complaining to his dad about how something is unfair. And, you know, his dad gives the typical dad response. You know, he's like, you know, the world's not fair, son. And uh, Calvin gives this, this hilarious response. He says, I know, but why isn't it ever unfair in my favor? You know, sometimes when we look at all the injustice in the world, we we think that God is unfair. However, God is a righteous judge. Fairness would actually be God sending everyone to hell. But in the gospel, God has done something amazing. We might even say he's been unfair in our favor because he saves us when we don't deserve it. Even though we're unjust, Jesus has taken the punishment for our injustice. And when we trust in Jesus, his righteousness is credited to our account. And there's now no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. And so as God's people, we can now look forward to that future day when Jesus returns, not with fear, but with joy. And we can pray in light of that return. And so that brings us nicely to the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus died, taking the punishment for our sins. 
The bread represents his body. The cup represents his blood, which he gave to satisfy God's justice. And in Christ, we're now welcome to fellowship with God, to dine at his table as forgiven friends. And every week as we eat the bread and we drink the cup in faith, what we're doing is we're declaring the Lord's death until he returns. When we'll no longer need these visible signs of his love. Because on that day, our faith will be turned to sight and justice will be accomplished and we'll feast with our God in endless joy. So this is a meal for Christians who follow Jesus in baptism and are part of a gospel preaching church. If that describes you this morning, then you're welcome to come and participate with us. If you're not a Christian, then let me encourage you not to come and participate now, but instead to use this as a time to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. And if you're wondering whether you should take the Lord's Supper, then we've provided some instructions in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to read those. Before we come to the table, we're going to have a moment for silent prayer. And then I'm going to lead us in a corporate prayer of confession. So let's pray together. Let's pray. Let's pray.